Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. Most of the podcasts you'll find here are recorded in our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises, but occasionally something or someone else will be featured. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not the thump you with it kind of ones. We believe in the world-changing power of the love of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. We're also always trying to integrate all this culturally applicable truth in real ways that reach our emotions and intellects, as well as our spirits. We're starting 2020 with a seven-part series called The Holiness of Health. The truth about our emotional and mental health doesn't always get centre stage in church, and while this is all stuff that we talk about quite a lot at Bread, we wanted to kick off the new decade with a proper, in-depth look at this stuff. We hope you enjoy it. Very nice to see you. Would you like to take a seat? It's great to have you with us, particularly if you're here for the first time visiting us. My name's Ed, I'm married to Hannah, and we lead the church here. You're very welcome. We are drawing to a close on our series, uh, which is called The Holiness of Health. Uh, And basically, the idea on this is that we've been trying to delve a little deeper beyond possibly what we've heard in church if we've spent a lot of time in church growing up um, and going a little bit deeper into our emotional health and how Jesus affects us at um, that level and really it's as we become changed by him at those deepest levels in terms of our emotional health that we can actually respond to him better, respond to other people better and live lives like we were intended for. So we have uh, this week and then uh, next week is our last week on this and um, today I want to just remind you firstly of how Jesus sums up the commandments. As you'll know, he says uh, there are two, really. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, I want to concentrate on that second one, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, people the world over know, even if they haven't got much experience of Christianity, that probably the central message of the whole Jesus thing was love, right? We know that love is the key. Um, And Ikea... The Swedish home store, Monolith, uh, did an um, experiment. What they did is they took two plants, identical plants in more or less every single way, same species, same age, same nursery, grown under the same conditions, and they placed these as close to identical plants as it could possibly be in a school for 30 days. That's them. And they asked the kids at this school for 30 days to bully one plant and to compliment the other plant. So the kids would go in and they would say nasty things to one plant and nice things to the other plant. And they recorded these on a little recorder and then they played these to these plants 24-7, even when the kids weren't in school. And this is what happened. Can you see that? Literally, a plant withers because it hasn't been loved, because it has been bullied. It's a plant, a stupid little plant, literally withering and dying. How much more 
human beings who do not receive love, how much more do we wither? It's almost as if, this isn't voodoo, by the way. <laughs> this is just being nice to plants. I know, incredible. But it's almost as if God, who is love, can't help but love, in speaking the creation into existence, loves things into life. And so how much more us do we need love over and over if we are actually going to live full lives? We are, in fact, created for perfect love. And it's, of course, what culture rightly um, realizes. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. And in a loveless, withering world, Jesus' plan is for us to be love to people. It all sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just bring people back to life with love. But then, of course, we actually have to do it. And that's not so simple. Because what we're talking about is not just, as Hannah said the other week, the end of Ellen. Be kind. It's not just that. It's actually incarnational, concrete, deep, meaningful, truth-filled, justice-creating, Christ-like love that we're called for. And there are some people, of course, that we find it very easy to love, and there are some people that we find it very difficult to love, and there are some people who really don't want our love anyway. How are we supposed to love them? And there are other people who we are called to love, but it's difficult to know how we can communicate what they need to hear in order to stop themselves self-destructing. How do we love people who've really, really hurt us? How do we love people who've abused us? How do we love those that we just do not agree with? We do not agree with anything they stand for. How do we love them? How on earth do we love our parents? I mean, seriously, our parents. These are important questions and ones that don't permit of easy, simple answers. And they make it clear how enormous the gap is between the theory, of course we should love everyone, and the practice, how do we actually do it? So this is what I want to talk about this morning, loving well. The model is, of course, Jesus. And let's read a very famous New Testament passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is his encouragement to a church who has lost their way in terms of love. They have actually stopped loving each other, and they are using each other for position. They are mistreating people. They are treading on people to get where they want to in life. And Paul is exasperated. Now, we all have mixed motives, of course. None of us love purely. But one of the things I've noticed living in Los Angeles for three years now is that some people here are a little bit selfish. They're just a little bit selfish. I notice that some people do not use their blinkers when they want to turn on the road. Sometimes they don't. And some people actually will just drive and cut me up on purpose. It's incredible. I come from Britain where everyone is polite. No one does that. But do you know what happens? When people start doing this, I start doing it as well. Because I just think, well, if you're not going to play by the rules, neither am I. And you descend. And all of a sudden, all behavior is justified. Someone hooted at me. Hooted? Honked? 
hooted, hooted, uh, honked at me because I didn't indicate and I crossed three lanes of traffic and I got annoyed with them. <laughs> now, this church and lots of people that we've met are wonderfully selfless. They really are. I think of a number of people who I've been getting to know recently who've really just given themselves. There, there is no agenda. They just want to help. It's amazing to experience that. But it's a bit worrying, isn't it, when it's the selfless people that stand out because they're a bit of an anomaly. How far have we fallen when selfishness just becomes the norm? So, however selfless we are, can I just encourage all of us to hear again what Jesus might want to say to us with regards to how we are loving and whether we could be loving a bit better? This is Paul's exhortation. Therefore, Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or grasped at or held on tightly to. Rather, he made himself nothing. And by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One of the most famous passages in the New Testament, always good to hear. So how are we going to love well? How are we going to have the same mindset, the same posture towards the world, the same way of being as Jesus? Firstly, we, like him, need to enter into other people's worlds. So Friday night is a date night for Hannah and me. Despite the fact that we work together, despite the fact that we parent together and live together, we actually find that we often don't have much time to actually connect with each other. So we have carved out Friday night date night. It usually happens, it doesn't always happen. But what nearly always happens when we have Friday night date night is all of the thoughts and feelings and plans and decisions we've been mulling over and thinking about through the whole week come splurging out on Friday night because we haven't had a chance to actually talk about them. And on this particular Friday night, last Friday night, um, Hannah wanted to talk about um, some friends of ours and a particular situation with these friends. And this is a situation that we've talked about a number of times before. And it's clear where we stand. And where we stand is diametrically opposite to each other about what we should do about this situation. But Hannah had had some new feelings about this, and she wanted to talk about it. So she started talking about it. And what I didn't do was listen. 
Instead, what I did was tell her my thoughts, which she's heard a million times before, and I'm still exactly on the same page, and I would just be pouring them out to her. And it was clear after we'd been doing this, basically talking at each other for a while, that date night probably wasn't going to end up where we hoped it would. Anyway, don't think about that. Uh, we, um, we did this for a bit, and what it was clear was neither of us were hearing each other. The writer, David um, Ausberger, said that being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it's almost like they're indistinguishable. Neither of us were hearing each other, and neither of us felt particularly loved. The reason I didn't hear Hannah was because I did not want to enter into her world. I did not want to think about her feelings. I did not want to think about her experience. I did not want to think about her week. I did not want to place myself into this other unfamiliar world to actually get to grips with what she, her wiring was telling her, her experience of life was telling her. I did not want to go there. I wanted to stay in mine because I like mine and I know mine and I'm safe in mine. Now, I'm sure you will have all experienced something similar before. Perhaps when you've talked to someone who thinks very differently about something. For instance, cast your mind back to 2016. Those heady days of presidential elections. Think about, for instance, a parent, for instance. Think about a parent who may or may not live in a different part of the country, who may or may not have a different experience of life, and who may or may not have voted for the different person to the person that you voted for, and imagine talking to them. And imagine them not entering into your world, not thinking about what your experiences of life are, and not being able to hear your point of view. And imagine you doing exactly the same to them, and how unloved you feel. Not making any political points. We don't have to agree with other people's worlds, but if we're going to love well, we do have to get into them. We do have to walk into other people's experience of life in order to actually love them. That goes for our closest friends and the people that we meet at work or in the queue at Starbucks. Let your attitude, your way of being, your posture towards everyone be like, verse 6, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Consider this. It's very hard to get our head around, but pre-existent Jesus had only known heaven. Perfection for eternity. All his eternal existence, one of joy and beauty and wonder and excellence, no sickness, no pain, no anger, no disease, no backstabbing, no deceit, no death, no hunger, no dirt, no poverty, just golden light and glory and abundance for all of eternity. Jesus did not need to enter our human existence. He could have stayed afar, and he could have looked down from afar and observed the whole thing, but he became one like us, taking on vulnerable, dirty flesh. 
like no other before or since, entering into human existence. This is the extraordinary mystery of the incarnation made known by Jesus. And no doubt, what he saw saddened him, the hurt, the loss. No doubt, at moments, things made him full of joy, the happiness and laughter and goodness. And no doubt, at times, things really angered him the greed and the corruption and the selfishness and the destruction and the sheer depravity that humankind sinks to, but none of it, not one bit of it, stopped him entering into our world. None of this prevented the Son of God, perfect in all his ways from, as that message translation puts it, moving into the neighborhood. Jesus definitely did not agree and does not agree with much that goes on in our world, but it didn't stop him entering into it fully. Jesus did not consider his position and his privilege one to be held on to tightly, but gave it all up for the sake of love. And the same goes for us if we're going to love well. Are we going to grasp at and hold tightly to our position? Or are we going to hold it in open hands, allowing it to not stop us from being with people, seeing people, hearing people? Does your wealth stop you from loving other people well? What about your employment status or your paycheck? Are you above people that are beneath you on the success scale? What about your education or your gender? Do you know what happens when men just talk to men and women just talk to women? Or men just talk to women and women just talk to men? Their worlds become more and more narrow, more and more isolated, and they stop living the full life that we're intended for. I say this as someone who, I, I prefer the company of women. I think it's because I've got a strong mother and I found them safer in general. But you know what? As time's gone on, I've got, I've really missed men. I need to spend some more time with men. Because our experience of life is richer, we are closer to the people we were created to be when we experience all that life is for, all the people that God has created us with. And the same goes for relationships defined by preferences on ethnicity, sexuality, age, experience. What about your gifts and your passions? Are you holding on to them tightly for fear that they might be abused or they might be uh, misused? Or are you only letting other people see them who could actually help you realize your dreams? Or are you holding your gifts and your passions in open hands so that they can bless other people, so that they can bring life and goodness to other people. To love well is to incarnate, is to move into the neighborhood, is to hear and see people like Jesus. When Jesus calls Nathaniel under the fig tree, Nathaniel says, how did you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you. Do you know what it's like to be really seen by someone? what it's like to be seen by the king of kings. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him how to inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus says to him, oh, sorry, it says that Jesus, says, uh, Jesus uh, looked on him and loved him. 
when the women, woman with the bleeding problem clutches at Jesus, the hem of his garment, to be healed. It says Jesus knows that the power had gone out of him. He turns around and he saw her. To love well is to see people. But secondly, we will not love well if in entering into other people's worlds, we lose hold of our godly identity. This is a very silly story, but it's the best I've got. Deal with it. When I was 12, Max, who was the coolest kid at school, invited me round for a sleepover. Max was so cool. He had like this long hair, and as I picture him now as a 12-year-old, I'm pretty sure he wore like a leather jacket and smoked cigarettes a lot. I don't think he did either of those things, but he was the coolest kid in school, and I wanted to be his friend, and I wanted him I, to know that I really liked him. And anyway, he invited me around for um, a sleepover at his house. His mum was very nice, and they had a big house in the country, and his mum said, okay, Ed, you are our guest, and I couldn't feel happier. He said, you are our guest. You decide what we're going to do this weekend. You can go horse riding. I think you say horseback riding, which feels like an extra word that is not needed. <laughs> horse riding. Horse head riding, horse tail riding. I'm stealing this off a comedian. Anyway, uh, horseback riding, or we can go to the water slide theme park. Now, in my mind, there was only one place to go. It was the water slide theme park, because I do not like horses. In fact, I really don't like horses in any way. I don't understand why people like horses. I, anyway, but no to horses. I wanted to go to the water slide theme park. But the thing is, I wanted to please Max. I just wanted Max to be happy. So I said, I don't mind. I'll do whatever Max wants to do. And Max just went, yeah, whatever, because he was so cool. <laughs> And then I said, well, I think Max looks like a horse-type person. I don't want to go horse riding. Uh, I've never been horse riding. Let's go horse riding. She said, great, we'll go horse riding. Max went, yeah, whatever. We go horse riding. The thing is, I am very bad at horse riding. I couldn't horse ride. Max, very good at horse riding, probably bareback with like a shotgun under his arm. <laughs> corralling wild stallions. I'm going very slowly, and so Max has to go very slowly with me, and it's all going, ow, 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 ow. I'm not enjoying it. He's getting more and more annoyed. Then I rub my eye because it's a bit itchy. And then it gets more itchy, and it starts to water, and so does my other eye, and I itch that. And then both eyes start watering a lot and become huge like kind of big purple tennis balls, and I can't see out of my eyes, and it turns out I have a deep, deep allergy to horses. <laughs> and I'm on a horse for another two hours. By the end of the horse ride, I cannot see anything, and Max, Max's mum and me, spend the rest of this supposed beautiful weekend away in hospital. They are very annoyed. Max goes, I just wanted to go to the water slide park. I was never invited back to Max's house. <laughs> Do you, though, collapse your life into other people? Do you just want to please other people? 
through some sort of misguided understanding of what it is to love someone, do you lose all sense of yourself and live for other people? I should have just said what I wanted to do. This is not love. And this is not who Jesus has rescued you to be. You are infinitely more valuable than that. You are a child of the living God. And you must not lose that identity, because when you lose that identity, you cannot love well. Jesus, when the rich young ruler comes to him and asks him how to inherit the the kingdom of God, he looks on him and he loves him, but he does not collapse his life into the rich young ruler. He does not tell him what the rich young ruler wants to hear. He tells him what he needs to hear, what is the truth, which is, you love money, go away, sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. And then the rich young ruler walks away sad. We do not know what happens to him, but what Jesus does not do is chase after him saying, I'm sorry about that. I, I, meant, I meant just, you know, love me, just come to church. Because Jesus does not lose his identity. And he does not lose his calling, and he does not lose his character. He remains entirely consistent. And we must too. Helen Prejean uh, is a Catholic nun. She lives in Louisiana. I'm sure you've heard of her. She's best known for the um, collection of her memoirs. Her book, best-selling book, which was called Dead Man Walking, turned into a film with Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn. And it's the story of how she started meeting with two death row inmates in Louisiana in the 1980s. And if you'll remember, if you've seen the film, sorry for spoilers. Um, it's very old now, though. Uh, Helen starts with meeting uh, Sean Penn's character, who's called Matthew Poncelet, and who was accused, along with uh, one other person, of um, raping a girl and then murdering her and her boyfriend on the roadside. And to begin with, Helen thinks um, he's, he might be innocent. And perhaps this has been a massive miscarriage of justice. He's adamant that it was, he wasn't involved at all, and he just blames the other guy. But as time goes on, Helen realizes that actually this guy's a narcissist. He's totally unrepentant. He's a racist, and he's a Nazi, and he's a misogynist. But she spends day after day with him. At the same time, she's befriended the families of those um, uh, who lost their children. And she enters into their world of unimaginable grief and loss and pain. But as they become aware of her relationship with this guy, Matthew, they cut off ties with her and her colleagues start resenting her because she's spending as much time there in the cells as she is at the convent. But she remains faithful to loving the murderer and the rapist. He remains unrepentant until the final day, 11.38 p.m. on the evening that he is going to be executed. She goes for one more time, asks him once more, do you take responsibility for what you've done? And through tears, he says, I do. For the first time, 20 minutes before he goes to the electric chair, 
And then a few minutes later, he says to her, thank you for loving me. I never had anybody really love me before. And then uh, in the book, Helen records this. As they walked together towards the execution, that walk was the first time I'd ever touched him. I leaned over and I kissed his back. Matthew, pray for me, she said. He said, Sister Helen, I will. And then when he was strapped into the chair, she tells him to watch her face because that way the last thing you will see before you die will be the face of someone who loves you. How on earth does anyone love like that? How can anyone be so secure in their identity that they can, on the one hand, fully enter into someone else's world without any worry about being taken advantage of, without being abused? And on the other, how can anyone love without so collapsing themselves into someone else's life that they lose hold of their God-given identity and status and calling to bring truth and restoration to someone's life? The answer is this. Anyone can do that to the degree by which they receive perfect love from their Father in heaven. When we are able to receive God's perfect love for us, all our experiences of imperfect love that we gather throughout our lives, all the ways in which imperfect love has been shown to us, conditional love has been shown to us, all of that messaging gets rewritten. In all the places where at times you've been told, do not give an inch because they'll take a mile. All those times that you've been told, if you are vulnerable, people will take advantage of you. All those times in which that experience has been shown to be true to you. Times when you have given yourself to people and they have abused you. All those times where you've been told there's a line in life and you need to hold on to your position because if you leave your position, other people will jump in the queue in front of you. In place of all those messages, God's unconditional perfect love says, give yourself in vulnerability to other people and I, the King of Heaven, will protect you. Self-protection pales in the light of the King of Heaven protecting you. And similarly, in place of those contrasting messages we have received of, if you really loved properly, you would be there for me. If you were a proper Christian, nothing would be too much for you if you were actually like Jesus. All those messages where we have been told, if you were a good son or a good daughter, you would be there for me. Or a real wife or a real husband would always, always, always put the husband or the wife before themselves. In the place of these messages, God says to us, I see you. I've seen you, and I love you for who you are. 
No expectations. Just you. That's who he's interested in. Jesus, of course, is our model, and he was able to go through the shame and the pain of a humiliating death because he knew the love of his father. He knew the vindication of his father. He knew the protection of his father, and he lived for him and no one else. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and God promises to look after us. My experience of life was really, the message I received was, everyone else is more important than you. Which is not a bad message. You know, Paul says something similar here. Consider other people greater than yourselves. It's a good message to have. However, if that's the only message you receive, and this is the only message I really received, everyone else is more important. Either it exhausts you, loving everyone else, because you're not receiving any love for yourself. Or it embitters you, and it makes you go, I'm not going to care anymore because I don't get anything back, and you just look after number one. Instead, the love of our Father is never-ending. Culture's idea that we just need to love ourselves a bit more is the wrong diagnosis of the right problem. We don't have enough love, but we can't love ourselves enough. Only he can. So let us receive from him. Receive the love of your father for you to be the person you're created to be so that you might love other people well, so that you can enter into their worlds and so that you can show them the love of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us sing a song. All the talks from our Sunday services are written with an aim to point people towards and help them open themselves to the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't think he's just a bit part or an optional extra in our Sunday services. Following his lead is kind of the whole point. So at the end of each service, we invite everyone to receive prayer. There's no magic in the way that we pray for people. We've just found that it's the easiest and most natural way to open ourselves. And that when we do that, he often meets us in the most wonderfully transformative ways. If you're able to join us at a service, we'd always encourage you to give this a go, as out of your comfort zone as it may be. Do drop us a line at hello at bread.church if you'd like to talk about any of this more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>